This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Welcome to Preston Crest this morning. Visitors, we're especially thankful that you have joined us today. Uh, we are certainly blessed that you have chosen to uh, join us in our congregation this morning. And uh, just want you to know we are a community of believers here at Preston Crest that believe the Bible is God's inspired word. We believe in a risen Savior that died on a cross for, our, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe that baptism by immersion is the way in which our sins are cleansed in the Holy Spirit enters within us. And we honor our Lord and Savior each and every Sunday by gathering around his table and partaking to remember his body and his blood. If you'd like to learn more about Preston Crest, visitors this morning, I invite you to attend our PC 101 membership workshop. It's this morning right after first service, 945, just across the hallway in our South Fellowship Hall. You'll be able to learn more about our works, our missions, and what Preston Crest is all about. Um, I think you'll really enjoy this elder and minister-led time. Next Sunday, September 26th, we're going to have a special contribution on behalf of the Village of Hope Orphanage in Ghana, Africa. Back in 2007, 14 years ago, Preston Crest raised funds to help build the Preston Crest House on the Village of Hope campus. And with this addition house that we, we funded, an additional 30 orphans were able to be housed. And now they have over 214 orphans across that campus. I know several of you have been able to visit this campus in person. And many of you support some of their orphans online through their website. And we appreciate the ongoing support that you do. As you can see from the slide behind me, like all homes, 14 years of use uh, has, has caused the need for a little bit of repair and renovation. So the elders ask that you please consider giving next Sunday, September 26th, to help us raise our goal of $33,000 for these needed repairs and renovations of the Preston Crest House. Giving can be done online, can be done by check. You can also hand any check to an elder. Um, but if you haven't already done so, pick up one of these brochures on the tables in the lobby where the, where the bulletins are. It, it gives more information about how to give, has other pictures and some other information you might need to know. You know, the more I learned about this great work and the, the way it reaches out to these lives of orphans, helps them find employment, but most importantly, helps them find Jesus. I'm so proud that this is a work that Preston Crest supports. As we now enter into our time of worship... This morning, if you'd follow along with me as I read Psalms 100, verses 1 through 3. Shout for the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people 
the sheep of his pasture. Let's all pray together, please. Father God, we are so thankful for this time this morning where we can gather together in your name to praise you and to worship you. And God, I thank you for the many servant hearts within this body of believers here at Preston Crest that serve you so selflessly. I thank you for our children's teachers, for our youth teachers, our small group leaders, our Bible class teachers. Father, I thank you for so many that serve in ways that may never be publicly seen for their efforts, yet they meet needs and they fill gaps in ways that allow this congregation to be a light and a source of encouragement to so many. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, for his example to selflessly leave your side and to come to this earth to endure temptations and sufferings all for us and for our hope of salvation. Help us all to follow his example of humbly serving others and providing encouragement to those most in need of it. Father, I thank you for loving us. Help us to show that love back to you now in our worship to you this morning. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand and let's sing this morning. Oh, worship the King, all glorious. We're going to sing one more song as we 
prepare for this time of communion. Lost are saved, Jesus, your name is great. You are the Son of God. You gave your life for us. You hung on a cross. You bled. And you died. And when you did that, you took all of our sins. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name. And so we remember now. As we take this bread, we remember. We remember your body. Bless us as we take. In the name of Jesus, in your name, we pray. Amen.
Let's pray. And now, Jesus, we remember your blood, the blood which flowed so freely from your head, your hands, your feet, your side. And from your back. By your wounds we are healed. And by your grace we are saved. Thank you. Jesus, your great name. Amen. morning. It's good to remember Jesus. Good to keep him at the center. Um, hey, this morning, if you would like to give, by the way, first, let me say thank you for your generosity. This church has such a big heart. And if you came this morning and you want to give, there's three easy ways to do that. One is just drop a check or some money in the collection box out in the four-year area. Uh, most of us or more and more of us are choosing to go through the website and give electronically or through church teams. So three ways to give. And your gifts not only lift up the work of God and elevate his place in your life, it's an act of worship, but there are so many ministries of this church that help share good news. And I'm going to pray over one of those right now. Let's just bow our heads. God, I just want to pray for the Friend Speak ministry. For over 20 years, you've had our people here at Preston Crest just sitting down and having conversations about Jesus with international neighbors. They come to us because they want to practice their English. And we get to share the gospel story with them as we build these new friendships. God, I pray for those, especially the Taiwanese and Chinese folks who are going to be coming to us to learn about Jesus and practice their English this fall. I pray, God, that we know the harvest is great, that you will raise up workers for the fields, people who will be a part of this ministry and make a friend and touch a life for the gospel. I pray your blessing over this ministry in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Roxy. I'm the president of Taiwanese Student Association at UTD in fall 2021. And this is my vice president, Vicky. Hi, I'm Vicky. The program helped me and other UTD students to become accumulated to Dallas to Texas while we improve our conversational English. The program has been helping students for 22 years using Bible as our text and let us develop relationships with people at Princeton Chris. Over 1,000 students have benefited from the program. For the first time, a number of summer school students are participating in Frank Speak. And we are anticipating an additional 80 students to be part of the program in the fall. This is where you come in. We need to have Preston Christ members to work with the student. These students have the communication skills in English and were selected by their country to attend UTD. We met at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon and gives you time to attend the 6 o'clock service. Thank you. We look forward to your being a part of the program.
I will say again, Robert Rigdon, thank you for your video skills. Robert's up in the booth right now, just gave me a fist bump. There you go. All right. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Thank you for the subtitles, too. I love that. George, thanks for, for spearheading Friend Speak because I know it's changing lives. Church, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. And Children's Church is extended up through sixth grade this morning. So if you would like to take your children up there, that is available. Uh, third through sixth graders are going to be in the attic for Children's Church this morning. We're going to sing one more song and then uh, Gordon's going to come back and share with us. On Zion's glorious summit stood a numerous host redeemed by blood. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, let me, hey, let me say this right off the bat before anything further. I had our, our children's ministry team, our youth ministry team, just let parents know that I was going to be talking about sex this morning. And let me say this, it wasn't to get all the kids out of here. That was not the point. I hope that wasn't interpreted as the point. It was for our parents to be ready to have conversations that might come out of this. Um, I think if your kid is over 10, 11 years old, uh, what better place to think about, to talk about, to consider uh, this topic? It, what better place than the church? And parents, if you're not ready to have those conversations, I understand if you want to get your kids up in children's church this morning, but get ready. Get ready, please. And uh, let's help our kids walk through uh, this confusion and uh, the issues that they, they will inevitably face. The other thing I want to say, so this is a one-off this morning. Next week, I'm going to start a new series on Sabbath. I'm calling it Pause. And I think we've got a lot to learn, a lot that we really need to learn in our busy, busy fast-paced, agenda-driven world, uh, getting back to this ancient, I mean, day seven in the history of the world principle. Uh, this principle of Sabbath was laid down in the beginning, and so we're going to start talking about that next week. So yeah, this morning, we're just going to open up a conversation about Scripture. What does the Scripture say about sex? And I guess the first thing I would say, another question with that would be, why talk about that? Uh, why talk about that on a Sunday morning, on a, in, on a beautiful September day in Dallas, Texas? Uh, for starters, I would just say, I think people often have 
an underlying assumption about the Bible and sexuality that is off base, even sometimes in our churches. And the assumption is this, that the Bible is straight-laced and the Bible is boring when it comes to sex. That could not be further from the truth. And so we need to get this out of the way right at the beginning. Sex was God's idea, right? 100% his idea. The anatomy, the concept, it was all God's thinking. And so he created sex. I mean, he made humans, male and female. He placed Adam and Eve together in paradise naked, and he told them to enjoy themselves, to become one flesh, to, to enjoy their sexuality together. And so he designed us, the creator, anatomically, hormonally, neurologically, all of this engineered to make sexual experiences uh, powerful and, yes, pleasurable, right? And that is in the beginning of the Bible, and you see those themes throughout. Uh, God did that. God created sex. Uh, the other thing, just a point of interest here, so God chose to drop a book, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. He dropped that book right in the middle of the Bible, and it is a book devoted to sexuality. It is a book about arousal. It is a book about perfume and passion and wine and, and alluring attire. It, it, Song of Solomon is all about that. I mean, there's a lot of it that I just w really wouldn't want to quote, you know, to our second graders here at Preston Crest. And that is in the Bible. God wants us to encounter that and to know that it is good. It is sanctified. It was his idea. And so we need to visit and revisit what the Bible says about sex and sexuality because there are many assumptions made about what the Bible says that are warped and wrong. So we keep going back to Scripture on this as we do with everything that matters. So again, why talk about sex? Well, the other thing I would say just starting out is there is... I would say a good deal of confusion. How about a great, uh, an ever exponentially growing deal of confusion when it comes to sexuality? We are so confused, we are so divided, and we are getting more that way all the time, and especially in the past few decades. You see, up until then, there were widely shared kind of assumptions, agreements about sexuality inside the church and outside of the church, and those really don't hold so much anymore. Uh, and now, even Bible passages and some Bible words are being retranslated or reinterpreted to make room for some new ideas. Uh, so we need to talk about it. I mean, you talk about just a, a confusing time. You know, just even the categories of sexual orientation just continue to expand. Just a statement of fact. Those categories just continue to expand. LGBTQ, and then I saw now we've got IA2S+. So lots of stuff, uh, and, and that's not, I'm not saying anything that's not, it's just what's happening. And it gets a little bit confusing, especially for kids who are experiencing hormones for the first time and trying to work out their identity in the world. So on a good note, I would say, and maybe there's good and bad in this, but generally good with the hashtag MeToo movement of the past few years. I mean, it has really shown a light on some attitudes and behaviors that I guess were kind of brushed under the rug or kind of winking and a nod and not so much talked about that needed to be talked about and called out and labeled as wrong. So I am grateful for that. Okay. So there are a lot of nuanced opinions and distinctions made when it comes to this stuff. And I think it is incredibly helpful and vital for us as Christians to get back to Scripture and remind ourselves of what the Bible actually says. So um, the, the Preston Crest elders, the leadership of this church, we are 100% committed, as you heard already this morning, we are 100% committed to doing our best to hear the Word of God and to live the Word of God here at Preston Crest, to, to operate under the authority of Scripture. If you want to know a 
bedrock commitment of this church. There it is, the Bible. We strive to follow the Bible. And we have to accept, right, that when culture charts a path that diverges from the teaching of Scripture, we are going to see more and more out of touch. We are going to seem perhaps even controversial. That's just going to happen. And I know it gets a little bit uncomfortable when people see you as out of touch. Uh, It can be a little uncomfortable when they see you as being controversial. But we orient ourselves as disciples of Christ around Jesus, the Lordship of Christ, and subsequently around the Bible, the Word of the Lord. We orient ourselves around that regardless of where the culture is at a particular moment in time. Okay, so finally, one more thing. I feel like I got so many disclaimers before we actually get into the text this morning, but I would say this. We as uh, believers, as Jesus followers, we love sinners. We care about sinners. I mean, we long for every person, no matter who they are, No matter what their sin struggles, no matter what their brokenness or life experiences, we long for them to be made whole in Jesus. We long for them to find their real life, Colossians 3, in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And we humbly acknowledge that we are saved only by the grace of God. Amen. We are all sin strugglers and we are made whole only by the grace of God. So we fall short. We fall short, Um, and we fall short when it comes to sexual sin as well. Um, Like, you know, if I just waved a magic wand this morning, and wave a magic wand, and all of the people disappear who have ever experienced sexual sin, a lustful thought, lustful thinking, behavior, we'd have an empty auditorium, wouldn't we? We all struggle with this particular thing. So let's be careful and be humble as we talk about what Scripture says and try to see ourselves in the story of Scripture and not just point fingers out there. Now, I was uh, 13 years old, 14 years old. We loved going to Colorado as a family. And anyway, my dad and I were going to go on a 21-mile hike up a mountain and back. We had another father and son with us, and we were excited about it. And to begin the journey, we knew that we would have to start very early so that we could reach the summit before the thunderstorms hit in the afternoon. And so we started the hike at 3.30 in the morning, kind of dark at 3.30 in the morning. Um, like really dark. We had some little headlamps and stuff. But I'll tell you this, it was quite a realization about an hour into the journey when we recognized we were not on the correct trail. For an hour, we had been going the wrong way. We just hadn't been able to see the trail signs, certainly couldn't see the landmarks. And so we didn't make it to the summit that day. And I would say this, in a time of great confusion about sexuality, and not just outside the church, it is very good for us to make sure that we get oriented around some biblical landmarks, right? Some big mountains that we need to see and we need to observe as we orient our way through life. And some of the trail signs that God puts out there for us to kind of keep us on the path toward him and toward living for his glory. So, Genesis 2, verse 24, we have this. This is one of those, one of those landmarks, all right? It's starting right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife And they shall become one flesh. By the way, that last part, is it talking about sex? Absolutely. They shall become one flesh. So that is the first big landmark about our sexuality in the Bible. God made man and woman, gifted them with sex, with becoming one flesh. And it was for them to enjoy In this marriage covenant, leave father, mother, come together, become a new family, and it's an amazing gift. It's a gift that helps a man and woman connect on a deep emotional level, 
on a physical level and yes, on a spiritual level as they, Genesis 2.24, become one flesh. And yeah, it's pleasurable, okay? So here's the raciest thing I'm going to say this morning and it's God saying it, all right? It's God saying it. This is Proverbs 5. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So pleasure is part of it from a biblical perspective. But again, the landmark here is from the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, sex is for a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. The two shall become one. And Jesus quotes that verse in Matthew chapter 19. And Paul quotes that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, verse 16, and then again in Ephesians 5, verse 3, that the two shall become one. Talking about a man and woman within marriage having a sexual union together. So sex is a gift from God for a man and a woman to enjoy within a marriage covenant. That is the biblical landmark. Uh, that is the center of gravity and scripture around this gift of sexuality. Then, after you see that mountain, after you see that landmark, you are able to see the, 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 the trail signs along the way throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament about all sorts of things that deviate, right? Adultery, pornography, premarital sex, uh, sexual activity between two men or two women. You begin to see those trail signs and say, oh, you're straying. Oh, that's not the way God wants it to be. And so the Bible is, I think we can see and affirm, it's, it's, it's very, very pro-sex from the beginning when it's a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. But sex is a powerful thing. You know this. It is a powerful thing. And when it occurs outside of these parameters of God, these guidelines that God has set up, it, set up, it becomes destructive and it can diminish and damage human beings. Just ask any therapist that you know. Proverbs 6, 27 uh, compares sexuality to a fire. A fire, when it's in your fireplace, is a wonderful thing in the wintertime. It provides comfort. It warms your house. You can even, like, cook stuff on that fire. But when the fire is in your closet, instead of the fireplace, it's not good anymore. When it's up in the attic, that's dangerous. When it's in the garage, that's a bad thing. So where, when it is where it is supposed to be within marriage, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. In marriage, Scripture basically says, have at it. <laughs> enjoy yourselves. In marriage, enjoy that sexual union. Okay, that's the Gordon translation of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's read what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting verse 3, he said the husband should fulfill his wife's what? He should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. That's in the Bible, folks. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That is very pro-sex right there. Just keep it in the fireplace. Just keep those flames burning within your marriage covenant and never, never outside of that. Now, Hebrews 13, 4 
basically affirms that. It's, it's sanctified in marriage. It is good within marriage. It is not outside. Hebrews says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled for God, what? He will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the Bible uses some really strong language when it comes to sexual sin. I would say peculiarly or uniquely strong language with regard. We know sin is sin, but the Bible says sexual sin occupies kind of a different category. Uh, It's a little bit different. And so it talks about this judgment for those who, who practice it outside or enjoy it outside of marriage. And there are dozens of scriptures condemning uh, different things, you know, like adultery. When it's not honored for marriage alone, adultery is condemned dozens of times in scripture, fornication. And yes, same-sex relationships are condemned uh, as well. Um, lots of passages speaking broadly about these things in very specifically. And so Paul will kind of lay some of this out, some of the specifics. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, um, flee, like, like take off, run away from sexual immorality. Every other, think about how it's unique here, how it's in a little different category. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But this one, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own. You talk about countercultural. You talk about something that's going to deviate from what the culture says and affirms you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. So yes, sin is sin. All of it is wrong. All of it dishonors God. But Paul comes along and says, sexual immorality kind of has this special place. It is a sin against your body. It is a sin in a unique way against the Holy Spirit who lives within you. So verse 19, he says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, he says, you exist not for your own glorification. You exist to bring God glory. Three things in those verses. Number one, so sexual sin, verse 18, is an attack against your God-given body. Uh, The second thing in verse 19, it defiles the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing, it robs God, verse 20, robs God of glory. Well, how does it do that? You know, me choosing my own path. How does that rob God of his glory? It's pretty simple, folks. Uh, it, It says... Yeah, God, you came up with sex and you came up with these ideas about it, these parameters. I know better. I'm not going to follow your word. I'm not going to follow your... Yeah, sure you came up with it, but I'm making my own adaptations. I am essentially elevating myself and demoting you, God. And that means I diminish him and I steal his glory. Now... There are a lot of things that we can do to rediscover passion in our marriages. This is not a sermon about that. We do have a marriage retreat coming up early next year. It is going to be romantic. It's going to be in a nice hotel. We've got uh, the hatchets are coming back. It's going to be fantastic. So stay tuned for more information about that. We'll talk about that more. Uh, But right now, I want to get into something interesting here. It's just a curiosity. Uh, Like Paul, who's written these passages that I've been reading uh, the last couple, he was a single adult. Right? A single adult. Jesus, the Lord, who we worship and who also talked about sexuality and talked about marriage, single adult. Uh, Perhaps number three in the top influential human beings of the New Testament, John the Baptist, single adult. So what I want to say is singleness is a good thing. It's not wrong. You are not lacking anything. If you're living as a single adult, you are not lacking anything. Paul actually advocates it. Paul advocates being single. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. And in a culture like ours that idolizes sex and idolizes sometimes marriage 
um, perhaps we need to reconsider Paul's thinking or, or, or think about that again. Um, he certainly wasn't against people getting married. Um, he just saw that there is a joy and there is a freedom and an ability to serve in singleness that is not all there in a marriage relationship. Uh, you can serve the, God, uh, the kingdom of God in unique ways as a single adult. It was true then, it is true now. So again, let's be clear. There is nothing wrong with living as a, as a single adult. You are lacking nothing. The church needs to affirm that biblical truth. In fact, Paul is going to say there are advantages to choosing this path or this calling. First um, Corinthians 7, 8, it is good for the unmarried. It is good to remain single as I am. All right. So as we continue our journey on the trail and we're looking at different uh, trail signs along the way, um, let's ask a question that some Christian thought leaders have been asking recently, and it is this. Does the Bible actually condemn same-sex sex? Does the Bible actually condemn homosexual relations? Now, this, there is a sincere desire out there to rethink this, right? To rethink the Christian position on this, to reinterpret these thousand plus year, 2,000 plus year old texts in the Bible because there are so many today who identify somewhere on the, on the spectrum, on the gay, queer spectrum, and, and there's just a sincere desire, really, to make them feel loved and respected and to honor them. So, the question, does it, it's a pretty simple question, does the Bible really conde condemn sex among two people of the same gender? Yes, it does. Couldn't, it could not be more clear. Um, I'm happy to send you a list of passages, Old Testament, New Testament passage. But if you're taking notes on this, I'll give you the one to start with, okay? Just start in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Get your orientation there, and then we can look at other more specific passages. If you want to reach out to me, send me an email or something like that. But yeah, it's pretty clear. Now, I know plenty, I, I'm going to put this in there because I think it's so important. I know plenty of gay men and gay women who are... Christians who are devoted disciples of Christ who have chosen to live pure, chaste lifestyles, to be living sacrifices for Jesus. I honor and I celebrate their devotion. They are amazing disciples, strong people of faith. All right? Now, we are all tempted in different ways. We all struggle with different signature sins in our lives to be tempted to be inclined toward a particular sin or sin. Well, that is our reality after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We are, are all bent toward, inclined toward different sins. Now, to work through the Bible and to try to reinterpret specific texts so that they no longer condemn sex between men or sex between women Whatever the motives, it leads to a misrepresentation of the teaching of Scripture. And of concern to me, I believe it could provide false comfort to sinners who need to be loved, who need to be called to repentance, who need to be called to more perfectly following the way of Jesus. Now, there is a, a progressive New Testament scholar. His name is Luke Timothy Johnson. And I, by the way, let me just be clear about this. I'm going to read a quote from him. And let me be clear. I disagree with where he lands. I fundamentally disagree with his conclusion, but I respect his intellectual honesty. He is a Bible scholar. And while he's talking to his own community of people who are arguing for same-sex union, who are arguing that it's okay, it's good, God's okay with it, um, he says, let's be careful with going to Scripture and trying to redefine it because he even says, Scripture's really clear on this. Like, he says this, I have little patience with efforts to make Scripture say something other than what it says through appeals to linguistic or cultural subtleties. 
the exegetical situation, so that's just interpretation of Scripture. The exegetical situation is straightforward. We know what the text says. We know what the text says. He says, I think it is important to state clearly that we, he includes himself, we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture. Okay? He said, we appeal instead to another authority, another authority, when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? He just wants to be clear, he says, for his group. We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and to the experience of thousands of, uh, that thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way God created us, right? I disagree with that last half, but I respect his intellectual honesty. He knows what the Bible says, and he says, look, if we're going to go this route, as Christians, just know we're rejecting what the Bible says and we're appealing to a different authority, our own experience. Okay, we're not going to do that at Preston Crest, all right? But just to understand that dichotomy, those choices that are being made today. Um, and so, yeah, the Bible's crystal clear on this one. Um, crystal clear over and over in terms of the wrongness of sex between men or sex between women. So, Let's get down to the rubber meets the road here for us today. What is the call of God for us personally, individually, and us as a church family? I think it is for us to unapologetically teach that sex is sanctified by God only, only, only within a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. That's what we teach. That's what we believe. If you are married, enjoy that gift. Unwrap that gift often. If you are single, live in purity. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Now, for all of us who follow Jesus at Preston Crest, we also need to show love and respect for neighbors who disagree with us. <laughs> I mean, why would I expect someone who doesn't read the Bible, who doesn't go to church, who doesn't profess Jesus as Lord, why would I expect them to think like I think on this? To believe how I believe or behave how I believe, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so we humbly recognize that every individual that we come into contact with, whether it's in the body of Christ, whether it's out there in the world, we recognize that all of us are people who fall short of the glory of God. There's a story in John chapter 4. Every human, by the way, every person... We're going to talk about her tonight. Jacob's going to preach on this tonight. Every person who Jesus ever encountered was fallen, had sin in their life. John chapter 4, he runs into a woman who had a lifestyle of sordid sexual encounters and poor choices in terms of her sexuality. Did Jesus make that woman at the well did Jesus make her feel judged and condemned and ashamed? Or did she feel hopeful, forgiven, and loved? Four chapters later, we've got the woman caught in adultery, literally dragged before Jesus in John chapter 8. So again... Did he speak condemnation against her? Did he speak forgiveness? Did he throw her over to the mob? Or did he shield her from the mob? Did he extend love and mercy to her? Yes. And did he challenge her to begin living life differently? To go and sin no more. He did all of that. And we are followers of Jesus we speak the words of Jesus. We walk the way of Jesus. And Jesus has always been able to see beyond the sin-scarred surface of people's lives. Where others saw problems, Jesus saw potential. With neglected people in neglected places, others saw problems, Jesus saw potential. So we, as followers of Christ, we are called to walk in his footsteps, to have gospel attitudes, gospel thinking, gospel words, gospel relationships, and to help everyone grow closer to 
Jesus. Help everyone have a good hearing of the gospel of Christ. That's what we're called to do. And so this morning, maybe that hearing is for you today. It's to say yes to Jesus. To surrender your life to his lordship. All areas of your life to the lordship of Jesus. You can be baptized in his name. Forgiven. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning. Maybe you just need prayers about something going on in your life today. However you need to respond. Let's stand together. Let's worship our good God together. This is my desire to that you've noticed that each week when we finish a sermon series, then the next week before we start the next sermon series, we've been having these lessons on the key tenets of Christianity, why we believe what we believe. We just know it's so important as a congregation for us to understand those and to be edified, to, to be reminded of why we believe what we believe. Quick reminder this morning, PC 101 is out in the hallway right after church during class time, out these doors, slightly off to your right at the south end of the fellowship hall. We welcome all visitors or anyone that's interested in learning more about Preston Crest. And then also remember tonight our evening services at 6 o'clock. Jacob's going to be bringing another great series or another great lesson on an encounter with Jesus. And as Gordon has already mentioned, it's with the Samaritan woman at the well. Very important lesson for us all to see Jesus' example of, that we can follow. As we close our service this morning, let's all read together Romans 12:1 together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the church said, 